0: We'll be reading chapter 3 and the first part of chapter 4. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, "'Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed.'" When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000.
1: Well, good morning. Oh, let's try again. You know what? That was a sleepy good morning. Let's try that again. Good Good morning. Amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house today. We serve a risen Savior, do we not? And he's called us in his word to being in Christ, being, having been crucified with Christ, having been buried with Christ. We are to walk as though we are raised with Christ. The Bible says in Romans that we are to walk in what? Newness of life. So this morning we come in that newness of life and we have before us the word. And I pray this morning... I pray that this week, I pray this week has been, this past week has been profitable in the word. And now here we are this morning. Once again, we're working through the book of Acts. This morning we are in Acts chapter 3. We're going to begin looking in verse 11. And we'll carry that to, to conclusion, Lord willing, to verse 4, chapter 4. Some of you might be familiar with the story that's been told, probably been told a few different ways, a few different occasions. The story is told of the, the Christian teacher and one of his young students, and on this particular day, little Johnny, one of the teachers, standout kindergartners, was waiting excitedly for the question. Any question, really. Johnny was waiting for the opportunity to raise his hand and give an answer. And so on this particular day, the teacher says, what's gray? Bushy-tailed and gathers nuts in the fall. Johnny shot his hand up in the air. And he said, well, sir, it sounds like a squirrel, but the answer ...must be Jesus. And you know, I love that story... ...and I especially love it in light of the text today. Because church, what I want you to know... ...is that the answer to whatever... ...you may be going through... ...is Jesus. And we have before us this word... ...that tells us all about Jesus... ...points us to Jesus... Those of you who are in Christ have the Holy Spirit within you. And the Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to point you to whom? To Christ. Oh, yeah, the answer is Jesus. It is Jesus. And and, oh, if we had the simple faith of that young Johnny. To know that whatever may be going on, (laughs) Jesus... To know that Jesus is the answer. With that in mind, I'd like to just open us up with a word, and then we're going to dive into the text. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray this morning that those who are gathered here, that we would gather for these next few moments we would gather around this word that you have given to us. That in these next few moments, Lord, we would not be distracted by other things. This word testifies of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we would be diligent as a church this morning to be attentive to this word, to hunger for this word, To desire this word that you've preserved for us. Oh, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would teach us exactly what you intend to teach. We would be willing to be taught this morning from your Holy Spirit. Who is our greatest teacher. And we thank you for that. May these words of yours land in our hearts. Penetrate deeply. Our minds that we might not just know more information today, but that we might be able to walk and live in such a way that we too would be able to speak to others and share with others. Yes, Jesus is the answer. Father, thank you for your word. I look forward to what you're going to do today through your word. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 3. There's a lot here, so hang with me. We're going to go fast through this. We're going to go fast, all right? So in verses 11 and 12, chapter 3, we see a gathering. We see a gathering, right? There's a gathering of people. And so last week, Kevin, as he spoke on the first 10 verses, spoke of God's eternal purposes in healing the lame man. Well, I want you to know that God's eternal purposes were not just for those first 10 verses in chapter 3. God's eternal purposes also carry over here kind of the aftermath of the healing of the lame man. Okay, so we have this gathering. Look at verses 11 and 12. As the lame man who was healed held on to Peter, that word held on, by the way, held on means to hold on to firmly. Almost the idea of not letting go. So he holds on to Peter and John. As that's going on, all the people ran together. Notice, notice what they did. Notice they ran together. They ran. This wasn't just some. Hmm. No, they ran. They ran together to check this out. In the porch, which is called Solomon's. Greatly amazed. Verse 12. So when Peter saw it, Saw what? Saw the people running toward them. Greatly amazed. Peter saw this. Saw He saw not just the like seeing, like I see you, like I see my son right now. I see him. I see him with my eyes. Peter no doubt saw them running toward him. But he saw something in the crowd coming together. There was something in the crowd that he noticed, he picked up on. He saw in the sense of being aware of it. They were greatly amazed at this. Peter's going to take full opportunity as he's moved by the Holy Spirit, no doubt, to speak. So he responded to the people. I find it interesting that when Peter saw it, he responded. You see, I think sometimes the only, the only opportunity we speak, the only time we speak is when someone asks us a question. I don't get here that people were asking Peter a question, yet the text says He responded. I think there's a principle there, church. Do you have your antenna up to know what's going on around you? Do do you see what's going on around you? Do you see what's happening maybe in the life of of the person or the family sitting down the road from you? Peter saw what was going on, okay? He responded to the people. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or, why do you look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Now, these first two verses really set the scene for where we're going here today. But really, we need to understand contextually this began back in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. And this really, the whole of this, the scope of this text will take us all the way through chapter 4, verse 31. This is a large unit of text. Okay, we need to just just be clear on that from a contextual standpoint. And what we're getting at today is a part of a bigger piece. Okay, the purpose for the gathering. So Peter and John, by faith in the name of Jesus Christ, we'll find out, they heal the lame man, right, at the gate called Beautiful. And as a result of seeing the man walking and leaping and praising God, holding fast, not letting go to Peter and John. The people run together at Solomon's porch and they're greatly amazed. And, and church, we need to understand this was no scheduled gathering like this one is here this morning. Our scheduled gathering to start at 10 a.m. Right? We schedule this to come meet together. This was no, what we have in the text, this was no scheduled gathering, at least by man's scheduling. People showed up out of interest, curiosity. They all recognized the man who had been lame at the gate. He no longer is sitting, but he's walking, and he's leaping, and he is praising God. And so the question how can this be happening? How can it be that the lame now walks? Curiosity. Everyone to figure this out. Notice his audience. Men of Israel. Men of Israel. He's speaking to a Jewish audience. That's important. Notice also two questions he asks in verse 12. This is all context setting up where he's going, okay? Peter's two questions relate to, first of all, the miracle healing of the lame man. He says, why do you marvel at this? This. What's this? The healing. Why are you marveling at this? Second question. Why are you looking so intently at us? So the visible representative behind the healing, <laughs> they're looking at Peter and John. You know, I was, I was reminded as I was studying this text out, I was reminded of a parallel in, in some ways, a parallel passage in John chapter 9. You might remember the story. It's a great story, great text. It's a story of a, of a man who was born blind. You remember that? Jesus heals this man who had been blind from birth. And in John chapter 9, verse 15, the Pharisees are asking this man who has been healed by Jesus, How are your eyes open? I love his response. He put clay on my eyes, and I washed and I see. Pretty simple. Well, they weren't content with that answer, so they go to his parents. Remember that? Remember that? They go to his parents. And they're going to his parents because they didn't believe what the man said. They want to go to his parents. And so they asked the parents, his parents. How is it that your son's eyes are open now? And they were a little fearful. Remember the text says they were fearful of being put out. So they say, hey, just go ask our son. He's old enough. He'll give you an answer. So they go back to the son. And they say in John nine twenty six, So tell me again. How did he open your eyes? <laughs> you see, the Pharisees... Wanted to know how the man's eyes were open. The problem in John 9 is not a lack of effectively communicating the situation. The young man was very clear. The problem in John 9 and throughout much of the gospel of John, this is true. Is the unbelief of the religious leaders. They responded not in faith, but in disbelief. They did not believe. And so here we look back in Acts chapter 3. Peter, he poses two questions to the men of Israel. First question, why do you marvel at this? In other words, why does this healing surprise you? Do you not know this Jesus whom I serve? Do you not know what he can do? You know, the world might say it's impossible. But with my Lord, all things are possible. You, You marvel at this. But if you know Jesus, you wouldn't marvel as though something strange were happening right here. Second question. Why are you looking so intently at us as though by our power or godliness we made this man walk? You see, Peter said, as men, we're we're no different than you. What makes us different right now is the power in us, granted to us by the promise of the Father sent from Jesus in this power is intended to witness to Jesus the power in us is the Holy Spirit who now just of late guys resides within us but this power is not just for us I want you to know that it's also for you and for your children and for those who are far off for all the Lord our God calls Acts two thirty nine, right Well, I believe to that second question, there's a good principle, there's some good instruction for us to take hold of. You know, I believe in many ways there's a tendency to focus on the man, the, the visible presence instead of the power of God working through him. The preached word, it lands on your heart today, Lord willing, the word. What is your response to the one who preached? There are a lot of times someone will say, you know, that was a great message. It's a great sermon, great message. And that's about all it said. How about this? How about thanking the Lord for the word that landed in your heart? How about using that as an opportunity to praise the Lord for accomplishing his purposes in you through his preached word. And you know, I, I realize Galatians 6 in, in context and I couldn't help but, but read this verse and also think about this, what we're talking about right now, but Galatians 6, 6, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And I know that there are many things that can be shared, right? There are many things that can be shared. But if the Lord has been gracious to provide you a word. Whether today or listening to another message down the road. Give God the glory for his power working through the one who faithfully delivers the word. See because it's God. He's the one who allows you to be able to see. And to learn. And to take in these very truths. From his word. So. All that said up front from a contextual standpoint... ...the crowd has gathered at Solomon's porch... ...Peter begins to speak and he poses two questions. So where does the Lord lead him next? Well, let's look at verses 13 through 15. We're going to see a rebuke, a rebuke. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob... ...the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. You know, as I was thinking about rebuke, I was, I was drawn to the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs seventeen ten says, Rebuke, is more effective for a wise man than a hundred blows on a fool. Proverbs 27.5 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. And then I was thinking on the other end of the, the rebuke. Why is it that rebuke is necessary? Oftentimes, there's sin that needs to be dealt with. One of the roles of this word, church, is to rebuke. Sadly, we don't allow the word to do that work in us. You see, this is an active of word. This word cuts. This word penetrates. Judges thoughts and act- actions and attitudes, motives. You know, there's another proverb that speaks of he who covers his sins, Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Even Paul in Titus two, fifteen, he tells Timothy to exhort and rebuke with all authority. You see, the, the purpose behind rebuking is not to squash the other person. Let's be real clear on that. Nor is it, or does it have anything to do with elevating myself above someone else. As though I'm better or as though I've arrived and that person hasn't. When someone rebukes you as a brother or sister in the Lord, the centerpiece of the rebuke must be, must be, must be in accordance with what the Word says. Not simply some complaint over a brother who uses his liberty, right? Romans 14 liberty in Christ to operate a bit differently. The, The rebuke is grounded on what the word says. The rebuke is a call to what? It's a call to the straight and narrow. It's a call to the truth. It's communicated in love and with meekness and gentleness. The scriptures are profitable for rebuke. But praise the Lord, they also correct you. ...and instruct you in righteousness. And the word of God, as we said in Hebrews chapter 4... ...it's sharp. It cuts. Notice the rebuke that's put forth in Acts chapter 3... ...13 to 15. Peter reminds them of what they did. Here's what you did. You delivered up this Jesus. You denied this Jesus. At the time, back in the time... ...when Pilate was determined to let him go... ...you denied Jesus. And not only did you deny Jesus, but you... Asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You denied the Holy One and the Just One. And ultimately, you killed the Prince of Life. The Giver of Life. Notice in the midst of the rebuke, he points back to the truth of who this Jesus is. Jesus is the servant of of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. Jesus is God's servant. He's the holy one. He's the just. He is the prince or the originator, the giver of life. But notice in these few verses, Peter also points them to the God who raised this Jesus. You killed the prince of life, but God raised him from the dead. Peter also points them to his own purpose and the purpose of all of those who follow Jesus. Having now been filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Back Acts chapter one, verse eight. This power, because it says at the end of verse 15, of which, talking about the death of Jesus, of which we are witnesses. We are witnesses. It's exactly what Jesus said they were going to be when the power from on high came. Power from on high came and has arrived. And Peter is reminding the people that he, along with those there with him, his fellow apostles, the, this new fellowship, this new community, that's some 3,120 strong. We're going to see that number is going to change too by the end of the day today. See, Peter traces the name of Jesus. God, And he's able to tell the old, old story. Remember that song? I love to tell the story. He's able to tell it. He rebukes them openly. Open rebuke is better than love concealed. Think about that. You love somebody, but you conceal it. Is that that, that how we do it? Is that what God's word calls us to do? Open rebuke. It's better to to, to rebuke someone than to love, package love and and conceal it. It's kind of like Matthew chapter 5. You are salt. You are light. A city on a hill. And yet how is it that we have this light covered? It ought not be. Well, same thing goes here. When we think about this text, we think about what Peter is getting at. He's tracing the name of Jesus to God. He's telling this story. He rebukes him openly. There's no soft peddling here in the text. But I want you to notice that the rebuke is accompanied with the truth that has the power to set them free. And he puts himself forward as one who can testify. This is so important. He says essentially, I'm a witness. Church, are you a witness? Can you give others a reason for the hope that lies within you? Are you able to effectively explain the miracle of salvation? What of your own salvation? Are you a witness? Is it important for you To be a witness. Instead of simply being able to tell the story. Are you living and breathing the story of what Jesus has done for you? Solomon's porch is the scene of the gathering. The lame man from birth has been healed... The people are amazed at what's happened, and Peter stands to speak. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, rebukes the men of Israel. He calls them to attention in regard to their what? Sin. There are a lot of people today that don't like to be rebuked or held accountable to the sin in their life. Church, that's what this word does. And as brothers and sisters, as parts of this body here at Hope in Christ, I hope and I pray that we can help each other in this as well. And not get offended when someone comes and points something out. You see, Peter is calling them to attention in regard to their sin but at the same time pointing them to who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is the answer for the sin problem. So he points them to this Jesus, making sure they understand who this Jesus is, and then he also tells them what God did following Jesus' death. He raised him up, and he also tells them what he himself was devoted to for the remainder of his days, and that was being a witness to Jesus. So where now does the Lord lead Peter? Let's keep looking. Verse 16. In his name. In his name. You know, I was, just, I was really this week thinking a lot about verse 16. I think verse 16 is a key part of this passage. In his name. Through faith in his name. Has made this man strong. You want to know what's going on? You want to know how it happened? Right here. Here's how it happened. And in his name through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So, instead of just simply saying, Jesus did it. He begins recounting who this Jesus is and how their sin... ...has separated them from getting it. You, you won't get it... ...without being in Christ. The, the Bible says that the natural man... ...as opposed to the spiritual man... ...does not receive the things... ...of the Spirit of God... ...for they are foolishness to him... ...nor can he know them... ...because they are spiritually discerned. And in that same Corinthians chapter 2 text... ...the Bible also says... ...that we have received... ...not the Spirit of the world... ...but the Spirit who is from God... That we might know. This is important. We've received the spirit who is from God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak. Paul writes. So it's not just about knowing these things. Knowing what God has given to us. But taking what we know, what we've been given. And then speaking them. Think about it. The things you know, the things that you have been freely, graciously given. Do you also speak of these very things? The answer Peter gives in chapter 3, verse 16, is the key to the healing on one hand. But it holds the key for each of you here today occupying a chair. Each one of you. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong. Familiar passage, but listen to it in light of the context that we're we're reading here in Acts chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. Turn to Romans with me for just a moment. Turn to Romans chapter four. Romans chapter four. I'm just gonna pick up on verse 19. Talking about Abraham and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. In the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. But was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being, here it is, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake, that's Abraham, alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him. That's Jesus. Who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. That God raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up. Because of what? He was delivered up because of what? Our offenses. Our. So let's, let's be clear. While the rebuke is happening directly to the men of Israel, the Jews, the audience there, does not the rebuke extend to each one of us here as well? Our offenses. and was raised because of our justification, therefore having been justified by what? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, some of you here today do not have peace with God because you do not have Jesus Christ in your life. Jesus offers a peace that the world does not offer. And unless you have Jesus, you will not experience and have that peace. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We also have access by faith. Peter standing and he says, hey, you... You want to know how this man walks right now? Go on, look at him. Here he is. You see him? Come on up here. You can touch him. He's real. What you're seeing with your eyes is a result of the power of God at work the Spirit of God opening his eyes to see, the Spirit of God operating in us to bring about the healing. What you're seeing is of the Lord. Through faith in his name, this man stands walking and leaping and praising God before you. And it's only through faith in his name that you too can be saved from this perverse generation. You see, he's using the healing as a springboard to teach them about the good news that they too can have. Some of us walk around in circles today, and we are grateful for the salvation perhaps the Lord has granted to us through Jesus Christ. But we've yet to tell people, this is for you as well. if it's good news, church, it ought to be something that comes out of your mouth. Peter, speaking, you know, I I believe one of the things there as he stands is, you know, this this miracle healing was not intended to wow you. Not intended to draw other people and just say, oh, look at that. Ooh, wow. We live in a culture today, do we not? That's drawn to the wow. That's drawn to the big thing. Whatever that is, you can fill in the blank. I pray that we would be about pointing people to Jesus, in His name. Through faith in His name, not only this lame man becomes strong, but that faith through His name also is the answer for the world today. You know, Peter is asking: Are are, are you guys going off of Romans four twenty one? Are you fully convinced, men of Israel? that what God promised he's also able to perform, you marvel at this miracle. You're looking at us like we did something incredible. It's through faith in his name that this man stands strong before you. And you know what? As good as it is to see this lame man walk, it's even greater news to see that this lame man is saved. Cast not your eyes upon the miraculous physical healing but upon Jesus, upon the name of Jesus. You see, because he's the answer for the lame man, but he's also the answer for the castaway, and for the lonely, and for the hurting, and for the addicted, for the idolater, for the one who has lost all hope. It's the name of Jesus through faith in his name. He can make you strong too. That's the good news message today. Have you not known... Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. Praise the Lord for that. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives, here it is, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31 says. So the answer is found through faith in the name of Jesus. But Peter is not done yet speaking. What else does the Lord have Peter to speak? We look at verses 17 and 18, and then we'll pick it up again in 22 through 26. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. That's an important phrase. He has thus fulfilled. So, on one hand, Peter is gracious ...with his audience. He says, I know that you and your rulers acted in ignorance. But he doesn't allow... ...this is so important. He doesn't allow their ignorance... ...to serve as stumbling blocks... ...to the truth set before them in the scriptures. He doesn't just say... ...oh, I realize you were ignorant... ...about that. No. I realize you were ignorant, but... ...let me remind you about what the scriptures foretold. These scriptures that you are very familiar with. You see, the Jews had an advantage according to Paul in Romans chapter 3, didn't they? Remember that? Their chief advantage. (laughs) What was their chief advantage? Romans chapter 3 says, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. The scriptures! That's what they had. They had the privilege of having the word of God. A bit later in Romans, Paul describes Israel as being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, having not submitted to the righteousness of God, Romans 10, verse 3. I want you to look for a moment at the text here in Acts. I, I'm, I'm grateful uh, to the Lord for this, being able to see this in the text. This just this jumped out. Very vivid picture of what was happening in the moment at Solomon's porch. If you look and skip to Acts 4 verse 1 for just a moment. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. The idea of the fact they came upon them, they came upon them suddenly. Okay? They came upon them. When did they come upon them? As they spoke. As they spoke. I couldn't help but think. I imagine the words of Acts 3.17 came right on time. I believe that perhaps the priests and company came upon Peter and company at about this particular time. I know you did it in ignorance, brethren, as did your rulers. In those penetrating eyes of Peter as he's speaking, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, perhaps even looking at the rulers. You did it in ignorance. But all that the scriptures spoke through the mouth of the prophets that the Christ would suffer. He has thus fulfilled the very things God has spoken of regarding his son, the Christ, the Messiah, the one you handed over to the Gentiles to be crucified. He's thus fulfilled. And you know, I was thinking about the ignorance of the the men of Israel here. And was also thinking about the ignorance described of those in Athens in Acts chapter 17. Different audience. I realized that. But the ignorance in both texts is not tolerated. It's not okay. Here he's saying you were ignorant, but let me point you to the scriptures. Here's what the scriptures have to say. And he's calling them to obedience to the scriptures. In Acts chapter 17, if you flip, fast forward to Acts 17 for just a moment. I read just a verse or two. Remember he's standing to speak in the midst of the Areopagus. These quote unquote learned men. In verse 29. Since we are the offspring of God. We ought not to think of the divine nature. As like gold or silver or stone. Something shaped by art or man's, man's devising. Verse 30. Truly these times of ignorance. God overlooked. But now commands all men everywhere to what? Repent. You see, both texts talk about ignorance. They were ignorant. But both texts call the audience to repent of their sin. Because he has thus fulfilled these things spoken in his word. ...through the mouth of all of his prophets. What's next? Where does the Lord direct Peter at this point? Look at verse 19 through 21. Here we see a call to repentance. A call to repentance. Repent therefore and be converted... ...that your sins may be blotted out... ...so that times of refreshing may come... ...from the presence of the Lord... ...and that he may send Jesus Christ... ...who was preached to you before... ...whom heaven must receive... ...until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So, you may have acted in ignorance, but you have these scriptures. You have the mouth of the prophets. Here's where you've been. Here's where you need to be. To stay where you are is continued ignorance. It's foolishness. Peter just recently preached a message on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Then he concluded that message with repent. Here, it's repent coupled with be converted. Be turned. Be changed. Let your repentance... It's hating and forsaking that sin. Knowing what? Knowing that it is displeasing to God. God hates it. So you're going to turn from it. You're going to repent of that. It's not simply I'm sorry... No, you're repenting of that... and you're going to be converted. In other words, you're going to turn. You're going to be changed. You're going to live your life in such a way... that reflects repentance. Let's not simply talk about being converted... but repent from your sins... And, and let's, let's be about living a life that resonates. I'm converted. I'm converted. I'm changed. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done in me. The call to repentance is not only for these men of Israel, church. Some of you here today need to do the very same thing. You've grown up in a home, perhaps, where Christ has been taught. You have attended a church gathering where Christ has been preached. You've heard the word and the truth of Christ. And to this point, you have yet to submit to God's righteousness. You've been seeking how you might establish your own righteousness. The Bible says very clearly that your own righteousness is as filthy rags. That's not any good. It's not going to stand up. It has no power to save. That's why Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says, I, I counted all loss. All of it. All these things in my life. That righteousness by the, from the law, I, no. It's in Christ, through faith, in the name of Christ. You know, some of you are teetering the fence with Christ. In a, in a gathering this large. And I know we're missing some folks today. But it's still a pretty good sized group today. In a gathering this size. Some of you. you, you See you like, you like the idea of being saved. But you don't care to change the way that you're living. You want to identify with Christ. Perhaps but you don't care for all the responsibilities involved in abiding in the vine of Christ. You want to be seen as a part of the church, but but you don't have any intentions, really, of serving here. You aren't too concerned about loving God or loving his people. Some of you here are not converted because you've never submitted yourself under the authority of God and his word. The truth of the matter may be this. You've never taken a hard look at the sins that separate you from God. Being converted implies that you now live as though your sins have been truly, I like this, paid in full. Do we live that way? Do you live that way? I was reminded of that scene. Pilgrim's Progress. Remember when he goes up the hill and he's got the burden on his back? Remember that? And he's on the hill and he looks up at the cross and that burden just drops off, doesn't it? Rolls down and it disappears. And I was reminded of that hymn. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by what? By faith. My sight, and it's no wonder that he's happy all the day because you see, that's what happens when you're saved in the name through faith. Your life is different, you don't continue in the way that you once walked. That's why the Bible describes this new way of living as a new creation. New as never before. What is it that makes your life new as never before? Is it something you do now that makes it new? No. It's new like never before because now you have the Holy Spirit in you, do you not? You have everything you need for godliness in life, 2 Peter chapter 1, in the Holy Spirit. Working in you. Pointing you now to Christ. In the things of Christ. That's new like never before. Because you see, before that time, you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses. You were walking like prince of the power of the air. You were, you were under his authority, under his control. You were a slave to sin. But now you are free. Call in Acts 3 19 to 21. It's the same call today. Repent and be converted. Why? That your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You now, Peter's standing and he says, Hey, you know, this, this lame man, this, he was once lame. Here he is. He's enjoying the times of refreshing right now as I speak. The spirit welling up within him. John chapter 7. Like streams of living waters. But there's coming a day when he'll experience times of refreshing from the very presence of the Lord. Repent and be converted, church. is connected to verse 20. That he may send Jesus Christ. Who was preached to you before. This same Peter... Who spoke to the gathering in Solomon's porch. Happens to be the same Peter who wrote two epistles moved by the Holy Spirit. Turn to Second Peter for just a moment. This is, this is powerful. Second Peter chapter 3. Beloved, I write to you this second epistle. In both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. How many of you need a reminder about things? I do. I need a reminder quite often. And that's what he's writing here in 2 Peter, a reminder. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. That's kind of interesting because in that message in Acts chapter 3, he's reminding them of the very words given, spoken by the mouth of the prophets. And of the commandment of us, the apostles, and of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. ...walking according, perhaps, even to their own righteousness... ...seeking to establish, perhaps, their own righteousness... ...and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep... ...all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget... ...that by the word of God the heavens were of old... ...and the earth standing out of water and in the water... ...by which the world that that then existed perished... ...being flooded with water... But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is this, listen to this, he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Verses 10 and 11, he talks about this day of the Lord and how it's going to come. And he says there in 11, Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness, do you get that? In which righteousness dwells. Fourteen. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. You see, repent and be converted, church, is is attached to what's said there and spoken in verse 20 of Acts chapter 3. That he may send Jesus Christ. The Lord is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has spoken of these times, according to Acts 3 21. He's spoken through the mouth of all his prophets this message. This is not a surprise message. That Jesus is returning. I hope you see, though, that his return is connected with your repentance. He tarries that you might not perish, but that you might repent. How gracious, how loving, how merciful is the Lord our God. Amen? He waits and he waits and he waits. Notice where Peter goes in 22, back to the scriptures, calling them back to obedience to the scriptures. The example of Moses is given. Moses, the prophet, right? He's just said at the end of verse 21, spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets. Right here now in verse 22, he's gonna give an example of one of those prophets, Moses, all Right? So he says, Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. That might be a good line to underline there. Good one. Whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. By the way, these verses taken from Deuteronomy 18. I want you to see here that Peter is preaching the gospel from the Old Testament, and he's pointing back to the book of Deuteronomy. As to why you need to repent. Why you need to be converted. Him you shall hear in all things. Whatever he says to you. And every soul. Every soul. Who does not hear. Who will not hear that prophet. What he says shall be utterly destroyed. You see there's coming a day of judgment church. And if I could. Impress. Upon you today as you sit here under the teaching of God's word. With the word open before you. Every soul who will not hear that prophet. By the way Moses is speaking of that prophet Jesus. Shall be utterly destroyed. The prophet of whom Moses spoke has come. Embodying the truth and the way. In the life he spoke and speaks today, even through his living word. And I beg you to hear the word of the Lord. Awake out of your slumber and be saved from this perverse generation. Today is the day of salvation. We are here for a while and we are gone. We are but a mist, the Bible says. Some of you, maybe perhaps, are thinking, oh, just a little bit longer, I'm just enjoying this, what I'm doing, I like what I'm doing, and and, oh, I'll get to it down the road. You do not know We need to understand there is not going to be a day of rejoicing. Just thinking of that hymn. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that would be. There, there's no day of rejoicing unless and until you repent of your sins and allow the, allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse you. Remember the song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? What is it? Nothing but what? The blood of Jesus... Nothing but the blood of Jesus. His return is imminent. And the question remains as to whether you will be ready. And your readiness revolves around what you're going to do with God's only begotten son, Jesus. It is Jesus you shall hear. Whatever he says to you, Deuteronomy 18 says. Listen to him. Moses, by the way, is not the only one who's foretold such days to come. Acts 3.24 ...says that Samuel and those who follow... ...as many as have spoken... ...have also foretold these days of Christ to come. The testimony, church, of the scriptures... ...point decisively to Jesus Christ... ...to the only one who is able to save you... ...from your sins. Maybe you too have been... ...ignorant of some things in the past. You sit here today having coasted through life, living your life as you please. I want you to know that your ignorance will not hold up when the Lord returns. Your excuses will hold no weight before the Lord. Now is the time of salvation. Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And Peter is moved by the Lord to remind his listeners here at the end of chapter 3 who they are. You are sons of the prophets, having just spoken of the prophets. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers. Saying to Abraham, saying to Abraham, well that takes us where? That takes us a little further back before Deuteronomy. Back to Genesis. Saying... And in, in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. If you read verse 26, to you first, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. Have you ever considered that God sent Jesus to bless you in in this regard? In turning away every one of you from your iniquities. The promises given to Abraham in the book of Genesis are not just some nice words. How is it that all of the families in the earth would be blessed? Just as Moses points to the prophet to come in Deuteronomy, that being Jesus. So the words spoken to Abraham are intended for your instruction. God sent Jesus to the Jews first. Romans 1.16, right? For the Jew first, right? First, first they came. They were in a prime position to get it. And the blessing that's offered is Christ. He's the treasure to seek. He's that pearl of great price. God sent Jesus with the idea of turning every one of you your iniquities that's the idea, that's the blessing we need to think about that, we need to consider that, that blessing we need to also understand this just because the chapter ends doesn't mean the account closes, I'd like to show you the first four verses of Acts chapter 4, hang in there with me, be attentive to what the word has to say here we see an opposition to the word preached. So, as he spoke, the priests, captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed. That's those key words, greatly disturbed. That they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So, as Peter and company taught and preached Christ, the religious leaders came upon them and were greatly disturbed. That they taught the people. See, they didn't want anybody else teaching the people. They also were greatly disturbed that they preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. See, Jesus was a big problem for them. And they just got, they got rid of him. They didn't like some of these other folks now, followers of his, stirring this whole thing up about Jesus being resurrected and teaching and preaching in that. And so what they do? They put him in custody for the night. They locked them up in the clinker, closed them in there, put them away. Opposition to the word preached. You know, it pains me to think of religious leaders. and How they were greatly disturbed at the teaching and preaching going on in Solomon's porch that day. What happens when you stop teaching the people what the word says? What happens when you no longer preach in Jesus' name? What happens when repentance of one's sins is absent from the preaching? What do you have left if you speak not of Christ in the sin that separates one from Christ? Did not God purchase the church with the shed blood of His Son, Jesus. You see, if, if people become greatly disturbed at preaching Christ, teaching the truths of Scripture, using that three-letter word, S-I-N. Calling people to repentance and to a life of being converted. Exhorting people to believe and receive Jesus, John 1:12, as Lord. Calling them to walk in holiness, to pursue Christ's priorities in this life to remind them of their heavenly citizenship and the implications thereof. If someone gets greatly disturbed over these things, and I say, let God be true, but every man a liar. Praise the Lord, we got verse four. A fruitful harvest. Once again. However, however. Bad news, they got thrown in jail. However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to be about 5,000. Now we had a number early on in Acts chapter 1 of 120. And then at the end of chapter 2, we have another number of 3,000 added to that. And now we see that the number is in the ballpark. Number of men came to be about five. The church is growing, multiplying. And and we need to, again, put forward why it's growing and why it's multiplying. It's because there were people who were faithfully preaching and teaching the word of God. And it's because the Spirit of God was moving and working as the Word of God is being put out there. The Spirit of God, one of His roles, one of His ministries is to convict the world of sin. It ought not be a surprise. I was reminded of the words from Martin Luther years, years, years ago speaking to the Word. He said, I simply taught ...preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise I did nothing. And while I slept, the word so greatly weakened the papacy... ...that never a prince or emperor inflicted such damage upon it. I did nothing. The word did it all. The word did it. You see, you can put Peter and John in custody... ...before the governing authorities... ...and you can lock up those who preach God's word... ...but you cannot... Keep God from accomplishing his eternal purposes with his preached word. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8 and 9, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Amen. It's not. Some of us need to wake up to that. It's not chained. Some of us might think, well, I can't, I, and we start stuttering over and giving reasons and excuses why we can't say something about the word, or speak the word. No, no. It's not Jane. You see, on an ordinary day in the life of Peter and John, they went to the temple to pray. On an ordinary day in the life of the lame man, he was taken to a spot right there beside the beautiful gate next to the temple. What did he do? He was intending to beg and ask for alms. An extraordinary thing happened in the life of the lame man that day. He no longer begged for alms, but gave testimony to God for his wonderful works. An extraordinary thing happened in the life of Peter and John as well that day. You see, because having been filled with the Holy Spirit, they saw his power ...on display in the life of that lame man. And an extraordinary thing happened... ...to all those who ran... ...and gathered together at Solomon's porch as well. They perhaps, for the first time... ...it's recorded that there were at least some... ...many, I believe, who heard that word... ...at Solomon's porch... ...and perhaps for the first time... ...saw their sin for what it really was... ...and they repented... ...and having received with meekness... ...the implanted word which was... ...and still is, church... Able to save your soul. An extraordinary thing can happen yet today as well. And tomorrow. And the day after that. You see, the extraordinary is not reserved for Sunday mornings. God waits today for you to come unto him. In fact, John talks about no one comes unto him unless He draws them unto Himself. And He does that work in and through the power of His Holy Spirit working mightily in you. Reminded like Peter who, remember in Luke chapter 5, falls upon his knees when his boat gets overloaded with fish and he recognizes in the moment His own sinfulness and the holiness and the majesty and the reverence and all Finding this man who's in the boat with him, Jesus Christ. And he bows his knee to the Lord. He throws his nets down along with the rest of the apostles at the end of Luke 5. They throw, they leave their nets. They leave it all behind. Perhaps that's what some of you today need to do. Leave it all behind. See, the answer in Acts chapter 3 is the answer for each one here today. In his name, through faith in his name, Jesus is still the answer to your soul's greatest longings. He is. Those who place their hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And church, I will echo what Peter says in verse 6 of chapter 3. Silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. The answer is Jesus. Only Jesus. All the time, Jesus. Just like that little boy. The simple faith. By faith in his name. Will you this morning trust Jesus with your life? Will you repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord? Ignorance is no longer an option. It's no longer an option. The faith which comes through the name of of Jesus offers perfect soundness. You have heard the word, Acts 4 verse 4. You have heard the word. Will it be said that you who heard the word today also believed? Let's pray. Father, you are the God of salvation, the God who orchestrated salvation. And Father, first of all, we just want to say thank you. We are so blessed by the great salvation you have given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. May we never forsake that wonderful gift Instead, Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be alive, living, active agents of yours, witnesses willing to speak the truth. We would be fearful of you and not fearful of men. That we would see your word in a different light perhaps this morning. That this word has the power to save. Oh Lord, I pray that we would be about getting your word out. Proclaiming your word. That's the word that saves. And it's in the name of Jesus, through faith in the name of Jesus, that people today even can be made strong, can be made whole, that they can have that perfect soundness as the text says. That it would be evident. I pray Lord for each one here at Hope in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that the word would be impressed upon their hearts and on their minds. That they might walk in a way to have the word readily available upon their lips. That they might not just know what the word says, but they would have in their heart's desire. They would have a desire to walk it out. Father, were walking it out would be accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit. Orchestrating, showing, putting on display what they need to say, where they need to go, what they need to do. May our lives be lived out in accordance with what your word says. Oh, Father, thank you for the answer that you've given to us today. We thank you, Lord, that nothing is impossible with you. And I pray this day, Lord, as we continue in our time of worship, that we will continue to consider as we prepare for the Lord's Supper the answer. In Jesus, oh Father, thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray, amen.